The children were very excited to be at the art gallery. For many it was their first time and they weren't quite sure what to expect. But a day off school can't be all that bad, can it? And as they went from exhibit to exhibit, their teacher waxed eloquently and waved her hands excitably, just as teachers do when they are in full flight. One of the paintings they paused at was that of the crucifixion. And though on a large canvas, it was restrained and the colours were muted and there was use of dark space to create a sombre tone depicted in the shadows where soldiers gambling, onlookers mocking and Mary quietly sobbing. And central to the painting was the figure of Christ, alone and hurting. Now the teacher did not linger. The subject matter was too grim. So she moved the class on. But as she did so, one lad remained quietly, unnoticed, but transfixed before the suffering, so powerfully captured on paint and canvas. Now, it was not long before his absence was noted, and a parent helper found him as still as a mouse, feet fixed on the ground, with a tear just rolling down his cheek. Come on, Jimmy, said the parent help. Let's catch up with the others. And Jimmy paused for a moment and said, Do you know, if God had been here, this would have never happened. And this is a common response in the face of suffering. It's a phrase uttered by Christian and non-Christian alike who cry out, God, if you had only been here, my loved one would not have suffered, would not have died. Sometimes it's an accusation angrily shouted to the heavens. Other times they are words humbly offered to the King of Kings. Lord, if you had only been there. And with this being Easter Sunday, you may consider this too sombre a subject to explore. But you'll see that Jesus' response to our cry, if you had only been here, is very much tied up with an empty tomb and a resurrection. So this morning we find ourselves in John chapter 11. At this time, Jesus and his disciples were a few days' travel away from the town of Bethany. Now the message reaches Jesus that his good friend Lazarus is gravely ill. Jesus chooses to wait a few days and then sets off with his disciples. And so we pick up the story in John 11 from verse 17. On arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than three kilometres from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And here we have it again, don't we? That, well, is it an accusation? Is it a question? But it's that statement, the same statement that that young lad made before the crucifixion, that artwork. Now Martha makes that same comment to Jesus. If only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You see, Mary knew. Mary had seen miracles, healings firsthand, and she'd heard of many, many more where people gravely ill were cured. And why? Hadn't even Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the grave? 
I think that's why she adds in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. It's like she's saying, Lord Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but even now I have hope. And so what's Jesus' response? I mean, it's important, isn't it? I mean, it's a question that we've all asked. We've all prayed Martha's prayer, if you'd only been here. So what's Jesus' response? Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Powerful words, aren't they? It's important that we spend a bit of time unpacking them. And they're words that start with an audacious claim before Jesus moves on to comfort, assure, and to give hope. First, the audacious claim. And the audacious claim is Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, many of us have heard these words on the lips of Jesus before, so they've lost their edge. But we can see there's a real boldness here. He's claiming divinity. Jesus is claiming to be divine. And we see this in three ways in that one statement. First of all, I am, the phrase I am. Now, in the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements spread through the Gospel. The first one is, I am the bread of life. And then Jesus' last one is, I am the vine. And these seven I am statements have more intent than we realise. For we need to remember back to the time of Moses and the burning bush. God speaks from the flames and commands Moses to go and rescue the Israelites. Moses replies, who shall I say sent me? What is your name? And in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 God replies, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now that phrase, I am, became so holy for the Jews that even today they will not pronounce I am in Hebrew. It's the word Yahweh. I am. I am who I am. Seven times in John's Gospel, including here, Jesus makes the same claim. I am the I am. Now the Jewish religious leaders recognised it and on more than one occasion, including at the end of this story, say, enough's enough, this man must die. He is blaspheming. So that's the first part of that audacious claim. I am. The second part is, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Now, in Jesus' day, God's people knew of and were expecting the resurrection. And we see this in some Old Testament passages, such as Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So the Israelites, they knew that one day there would be a bodily resurrection and there would be a sorting in between those that would go to everlasting life and those to everlasting contempt. Uh, Isaiah 26, 19. But your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, that's those who are already dead, wake up and shout for joy, 
Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And we can see from Martha's response that she believed in the resurrection. She knew these passages of scripture. She replied, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now Jesus' response not only acknowledges this reality, but he boldly and without precedent claims that he is the resurrection. He's claiming to be the source and the agent of the raising from the dead. He's saying, because of me, people will be raised And because of my power, I will do the raising. Now in light of the cross, we see that he's claiming not only to be the first to be raised from the dead, but the person who determines who will be raised. This is without a doubt a claim to be divine. So two parts to this claim. I am the resurrection and the third part is I am the resurrection and the life. The life. Now, in the Old Testament, it makes it very clear that God alone is the origin and giver of life. But here, Jesus claims this for himself. And we see this bold claim elsewhere in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 3. Through him, all things were made. That's Jesus. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. In him is the life that he offers to each of us. Resurrection life. And from this claim, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus now moves to bring comfort, to bring healing, to bring assurance to Martha. Verse 11. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is asking that I am the resurrection and the life? And this invitation, this invitation to believe is offered not just to Martha, but to us as well. I mean, this Easter Sunday, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Or have you been sitting on the fence all these years? You're not really sure and you'd like to keep God at arm's length. Today, Jesus asks you, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? And when we do believe, the door opens up to our comfort, our healing and our hope. For all who believe in Christ receive the resurrection life of Christ. This is not, a, uh, this is not universally taken up by everyone. It's not automatically conferred on everyone who dies. Some people reject the life of Jesus. Yet to all who believe to receive him, then they have received the gift of everlasting resurrection life. And Martha's response becomes a model for us all. Do you believe? And then in uh, verse 27 she responds, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now, have you ever wondered how to become a Christian? Well, here it is, modelled for us by Martha. You see, at some stage, Jesus breaks through into our life and the scales fall off our eyes and we finally see that Jesus is the Christ. He is the one and he invites us with these words. Do you believe? Do you believe that I am God's son? Do you believe I died and rose again so that you can have everlasting life? And when he asks that, how do we respond? 
Well, we can respond with the words of Martha. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. What a wonderful model about how to come to Christ. And not only do we receive everlasting life, born again, not only are we born again when we come to Christ, but we receive this tremendous comfort in the face of suffering and death. But the story does not end with Martha. If it did, it would be a great story. There's a huge amount of encouragement here. But look how lovely Jesus is with the grieving sisters. For what about Mary? She stayed at home and she missed all this. So Martha hurries back home and says, Mary, the teacher is here and he is asking for you. So both Martha and Mary now hurry back with a number of onlookers following. Now listen carefully as we pick up the story in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Exactly the same words that her sister Mary said. Exactly the same words as little Jimmy as he was standing transfixed looking at the crucifix. If you had only been there, my brother would not have died. Now, Normally we would expect Jesus to repeat himself, to go back over that wonderful teaching. We'd expect him to say, well Mary, I am the resurrection and the life, and invite her to believe. It worked with Martha, so we'd expect the same now. But notice how Jesus takes a totally different approach. It's just so sweet. It's so lovely the way that Jesus and Mary interact. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who came with, along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Verse 35, and Jesus wept. With Mary at his feet, she was brokenhearted in tears. Jesus is deeply moved and troubled. So much so that Jesus also weeps. And you know, part of me is thinking, Jesus, why, why are you crying? I mean... In a few moments, Lazarus is going to come out of the grave and people are going to cheer and clap. You know, I would expect Jesus to have a bit of a wry smile, a bit of a twinkle in his eye that, oh, I know what's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. Why, why engage all that emotional energy and cry? It's because Jesus is the perfect man. He's the son of God. He is great in mercy and compassion. He feels our pain. He knows our loss. Jesus weeps with us even when he knows he will make all things right. And do you notice there's not one word of explanation to Mary. When she says, if you had only been there, he didn't say a thing. He just wept. He stood with Mary in her grief. He cried with Mary. His heart broke with Mary's. And likewise, Jesus sits with us in our grief. You know, when we or our loved ones endure suffering, we cry out, Jesus, if you'd only been there. And Jesus replies, I am here. Not only am I the resurrection and the life, but I am the one who stands alongside and cries with you. 
Jesus says, my heart breaks with you, I too grieve. Don't we serve a wonderful God? Does he not captivate every affection of our heart? Can you not see the gentleness and the beauty of Christ? So when we cry, if you had only been here, sometimes Jesus responds, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? And at other times, he stands at our side and quietly weeps with us. This is the glory of the resurrection of Easter Sunday. But it doesn't, doesn't end here. It doesn't end with the two sisters that have been comforted. Let's pick up the story in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there four days. A little bit of humour there. I love the King James Version. But Lord, he stinketh. Very practical. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus prays a very simple prayer. Verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Here we each stand beside the empty tomb. And we stand with Mary and Martha. We stand with the onlookers and even with Lazarus as we see a defining moment in the life of Jesus. For on the one hand, he's just declared, I am the resurrection and the life. And on the other, he proves it by raising Lazarus from the dead. We cannot overestimate the importance of Jesus' claim and his following through. I know the glory and the wonder of the Christ that we worship. Beautiful and without equal is the Lord who we follow. With joy, we bow our knee to the high King of heaven. How do we finish this morning? With Lazarus hugging his sisters and the joy amongst the family because he was resurrected. How do we finish? We'll go back to the art gallery and Jimmy. Well, imagine if the parent help had been delayed a few minutes. And instead, a bearded man in his early 30s comes up to Jimmy and crouches down beside him saying, Hi, Jimmy. And they both spend some time looking at the painting of the crucifixion. What do you see, Jimmy? asks the man. You know, if God had been there, this would have never happened. And a tear rolls down Jimmy's cheek. And it's quiet. It's quiet as only art galleries can be as they are both transfixed by the scene. And a large tear rolls down the man's cheek. You're right, Jimmy. For a short time, God did abandon this good man. Do you know why? asked Jimmy, wiping a tear with his sleeve. Well, the man said, I had to die so I could take on everyone's hurt and brokenness and sin. For a time, I was abandoned by God while I paid the price. But, Jimmy, that's not how the story ends. How does it end? asked Jimmy. I still transfixed on the hurting Jesus. Well, Jimmy, the story ends wonderfully. Because I paid the price, God raised me from the dead, and I'm more alive than I have ever been. And so can you. 
And Jimmy turns and, and looks the stranger in the eye. And for a moment, their gazes meet. And then Jimmy, he smiles the biggest of smiles, says, see you later, and races off to join the class. This is the glory of the resurrection. Let's pray.